passage for today is Mark 1, verses 29 through 39. I'll be reading from the NIV. As soon, sorry, the ESV. <clears throat> as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. The word of the Lord. Indeed. Well, first of all, let me wish all of you here a happy Mother's Day. It is nice in this very chaotic year to be reminded of the things to be grateful for, for those of us who have good mothers or uh, mothers in our lives, uh, we should make a point of saying thank you to them today. Recently, I realized that I was burning out in my job at Tewkesbury Hospital. I was becoming physically and emotionally exhausted. And I didn't realize this myself. I mostly realized that when Patty kept asking me, why are you so grumpy? Why are you so irritable? And as I started to reflect on that very question, I began to realize that I was detaching. I was detaching from people at work. I was de detaching from my patients. I was detaching in some ways from my family. I was not feeling effective in the work I was doing. And although I didn't feel overwhelmed, I noticed that I seemed to be shutting down. And perhaps worse than all of those things, the fierce fire to please God was starting to dissipate in my life. I was beginning to feel disconnected from my part in God's big story, or at least if not disconnected, not excited by it. I was beginning to feel spiritually tired, feel emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. And I think in this time of COVID, that's probably not an uncommon experience for many of you as well. The constant change, first of all, trying to go from a live in-person world to one which is all virtual, where we're trying to log on and sort out technology, or perhaps it's the lack of constant change. It's the, it's the constant nothingness, sitting at home and isolating and doing nothing. Or perhaps it's the return from that technology back into the real, real world. Or perhaps it's the beginning of the realization that everything is going to start ramping up again and you're not ready for it. But I think this was true before COVID as well. 2017, the Barna Research Group did a survey of pastors and they discovered that one in three of them felt they were burned out and one in two of them, half of them, thought that their marriage was at risk of failing. 
And we as a church here are very conscious that we are a royal priesthood of believers. It's not just the pastor which serves God and, and what they do. Every one of you is engaged in the ministry and work of God wherever you are. And so what is the burnout rate in the general population? Well, in a recent Gallup poll in 2019, one third of U.S. adults felt burnt out. I'm going to run through a quick list of questions for you, see how you answer these. This is from the Mayo Clinic. Have you become cynical or critical? Do you drag yourself to work or wherever you need to go? Do you have trouble getting started in your activities? Have you become irritable and impatient? Do you lack the energy or consistency to be productive? Do you find it hard to concentrate? Do you lack satisfaction from your achievements? Do you feel disillusioned? about the things you engage in, your job, your family, your hobbies. Are you using food, drugs, alcohol, or porn to feel better or to not feel at all? Have your sleeping habits changed? More importantly, and it's not part of the Mayo Clinic questions, but do you feel disconnected or detached from God's big story? Are you spiritually tired? Now, in the chaos and the brokenness of Tewkesbury Hospital, you may have made the case that you could understand why I felt that way. But the irony is that at Tewkesbury Hospital, I keep on getting told that I'm doing a great job and I keep on getting given more responsibility. So even in success, I feel that sense of burnout. Now we're doing a series where we're looking at vertical habits and we're basing it on Peter's life from the Gospel of Mark. But today, Instead of looking at Peter and using Peter as our exemplar, we're going to look with Peter at Jesus and use Jesus as our exemplar. We are going to learn with Peter from Jesus. Now Peter, who is called Simon in this passage, before his name was changed by Jesus to Peter, is surprised at Jesus' behaviour. He comes up to Jesus after Jesus has gone off early in the morning to pray and he, and he looks at him and it's a big why question. Why are you doing this? What happened, Jesus? Why are you here? Why aren't you where we thought you would be? And I think that Jesus is doing, is not doing what Peter thinks he should do and I think this is the problem for Peter. Peter thinks Jesus would do what Peter would do and Jesus doesn't do that. So let's do what Peter did for a minute. Let's imagine ourselves in Jesus' situation and try to, to, to see the reaction that we would have. So the story so far, remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus uh, cast out a demon of a man in the synagogue. From there he went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And from there, which we read in the beginning of this passage, and then from there... Everybody starts to hear, oh, this is the guy that heals people. This is the guy who casts out demons. Let's bring our sick and possessed to him. And we see that in verses 30 through, uh, 3 through 30, uh, 32 through 34. And let me read them to you. That evening after the sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at his door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons and then it goes on. We see that Jesus effectively in this small town is a, 20, is a first century rock star. Everybody wants to be around Jesus. Everybody who has a need is flocking to Jesus. Here is this man who's starting to make it big. Everybody's talking about him. The whole town wants to be part of it. 
The press is good, the crowds are gathering, the people are talking, and there are plenty of reasons why you think he would get up the next day and keep on healing and casting out demons. You could imagine just for sheer ego. Hey, I'm something, especially in this town. Look at these people, they're all flocking to me. Or perhaps it's a need to be needed. The people need me, and I need the people to need me. So I'm going to keep doing this to get the affirmation. Or is it arrogance? Who else can do this but me? I'm the only person that can save the world. I'm the only person that can help these people. Or perhaps it's need for approval. If I stop doing this, they may not like me anymore. They won't like me if I stop healing and casting out. Or perhaps it's fear of missing out. What is this crowd going to say? What nice things about me might they be saying amongst themselves? And that I won't hear. Jesus is, in a sense, a first century rock star who doesn't act like a rock star, and that surprises Peter. Now, how would you have reacted if this were you? If you were suddenly getting all this attention, all this fame, if what you were doing attracted this much praise and adoration? Even if Jesus is going to move on soon, why take a break now? He could have just kept on healing. Eat, sleep, heal. Eat, sleep, heal. Eat, sleep, heal. Build your reputation, Jesus. Go for maximum efficiency, Jesus. Get the best possible outcome, Jesus. Look for the highest return on investment, Jesus. And we see this. Uh, uh, this is why Peter is so surprising. He, uh, he gets up the next morning and Jesus is not there. And the crowd is, and they're saying, where's that guy that was here yesterday? And Peter and the disciples go out looking for him, and they find him in verses 36 and 37. And let me read them. Simon and his companions went out to look for him, and they went and found him, and in their shock they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Why aren't you back on the high-performance track, Jesus? The show must go on, Jesus. Why aren't you getting back to where you need to be? But Jesus doesn't buy any of that. Jesus reacts in a very strange way for people who are suddenly hitting it big, in a sense. In, uh, and, and this is not because of entitlement. Notice that Jesus isn't lying in bed saying, you know what, I had a big day yesterday, I did a great job, I deserve a break. Today I'm going to sleep in, going to have a leisurely breakfast, I'm just going to... No, he's up early and he's out praying. And it's not because he's unconcerned or detached. All the way through the Gospels, we see the expression again and again and again. But Jesus had compassion. But Jesus had great compassion. But Jesus was compassionate on. Again and again and again. There's no burnout. There's no unconcerned. There's no detached. There's no entitlement here. Something else is going on in Jesus' behavior. In his prayer, Jesus has spiritually grounded himself, staying true to his calling. And we can see this in verse 38. His reply when the disciples come and interrupt him in his prayer is, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus is fully human. He gets hungry. He gets angry. He gets lonely. He gets tired. He gets sad. But coming as a human... He accepts the limitations 
of being human. He humbles himself. And like all humans, like all humans, God does not ask Jesus to do more than he is capable of. But unlike all humans, unlike all humans, Jesus doesn't feel the need to do more than he's been asked to do. He is not driven by ego, not driven by the need to be needed, by arrogance, by the need for approval or for fear of missing out. In prayer, he simply and repeatedly and constantly grounds himself in God's call on his life. And Jesus was a man of constant grounded prayer. And this is often missed in the Gospels, but we see it again and again and again and again. Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Mark 6, 48. After biting them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6, 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Luke 9, 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, dot, dot, dot. And again and again and again, all the way through the Gospels, this repeated behavior of Jesus going and praying. The evangelist from the early 1900s, R.A. Torrey, who traveled the whole English world proclaiming the Gospel, who knew chaos, who knew busyness, who knew success, said this in his book on prayer. Jesus prayed early in the morning as well as all night. He prayed both before and after all the great events of his life. And he prayed even when his life was unusually busy. Reminds me of that book by Bill Hybels, Too Busy Not to Pray. Jesus' ministry was, affected, was effective because he was connected to God and to God's calling. Stress drove him to God, not away from God. He knew as a human, he couldn't do it all. As a human, he could not heal every person. He could not cast out every demon. That wasn't his call. No matter how much he cared, no matter how much he knew that God cared, through his prayer life, he leant into the Father rather than go it alone, grounding prayer again and again, maintaining a constant trust in God and a true humility about his own capacity. Jesus trusted God as the author and that God trusted that God as the author had already written the end of the big story. And Jesus has the humility to accept that as a human he was limited. And he maintained this with constant grounded prayer throughout his life. Now what about you and I? What makes us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually burned out? What stresses us? As a human, I know I want to solve every problem for every one of my clients. But I can't. I can't even solve every one of the problems that every one of my family has. Honestly, I can't even solve all the problems that I have for myself. So how do I live? How do we all live in this constant brokenness? Do we lean into God or do we lean into something else? Do we try to fix everything despite our limitations, becoming more and more irritable, more and more impatient, uh, experiencing failure, getting depressed? Or do we detach? Do we give up? Do we avoid? Do we move into computer games 
or TV or alcohol or drugs or pornography? How do we deal with the chaos of brokenness and the chaos of success? Like Jesus, we live in a chaotic, broken world. Like Jesus, we experience radical success that can totally change our perception of ourself. And these things are unmanageable combinations unless we trust God and humbly accept our own limitations. Now, this is easy to say in the head, right? We all know this. There's nothing new in this information. What about the heart? How do we get that into the heart? How do we get this idea that we need to trust God and accept our limitations into the heart? We need the vertical practice, the vertical habit of grounded prayer. And I'm going to give you a, a step through this, a, a series of steps, simple steps, easy to remember. And then we're going to work through it once together because in this series we're being intentionally practical. We're trying to move away from just an intellectual understanding and move to a a practical and experiential encounter with God through prayer. So the vertical habit of grounding prayer needs to be personal, not checkbox. And you need to step through three L's, the lament, the listen, and the love. Lament, listen, and love. Grounding prayer laments. It's good to lament about the brokenness that we encounter, that we live in. That's a connectedness to God's value system. We understand what grieves God and we let it grieve us. We are connected rather than detached. Detached. We connect to God's heart. We listen. We sit in that and we discern in Holy Spirit listening what small part God may be calling us to in that brokenness that we see. What does it mean for us in our limitedness to be faithful? This where need meets desire meets limitation. And in that little prayer of need meets desire meets limitation, it's important for me to say that sometimes that desire is not the pressing, burning desire that we might have. Sometimes that desire is the desire that God puts on our heart. So, for example, the need to serve when we are not in COVID times in our nursery. I don't think anybody is jumping up and down to say, I want to be in the nursery, or few, not as many people as we need are. But that desire needs to come from that prayer, of, uh, that prayer of groundedness. Is there a need? Have you put that desire, is that desire on me? And, and what does it mean then, the third step? So we lament, we listen, and then we love. And by love, I mean we go out and we actively do what that thing that God has put on our heart when we Holy Spirit listen. We do that in faithfulness as overflow in prayer. So it doesn't mean that we have to drive or serve with our eyes closed praying. What it means is that that work is work of overflow. That work is work of service of God. That work comes out of a heart love for God rather than something which burns us out. Now vertical habits are disciplines. And disciplines are rhythm by invitation. Something very important for us to get into the, the patterns of our life. This was made so clear to me when I was at a seminar in New York City at a church out in Queens where they were talking about the discipline of Sabbath. And I listened to somebody ask this woman who practiced the Sabbath faithfully, what would your response be if I told you you couldn't have a Sabbath? And I saw the distress all over her face. She said, no, I, I'm rejuvenated by this. 
my, my heart and my soul is lifted up by this discipline, this, this invitation to the rhythm of Sabbath. And Patty and I came back from that and said, we want more of that. We need to, do, we need to practice that Sabbath. We need to respond to that invitation. And so rather than seeing the Sabbath as a commandment that needed to be obeyed, rather than being oppressed by it, we discovered that we were liberated by it. We saw the law not as an oppressive act, but a liberating act. And this is true of grounding prayer as well. We need to move into this uh, as an invitation to enter into rhythm. Lament, listen, love. Now, I'd like to do this now. I'd like to practice this now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, and again, Remember, there's nothing wrong with checkbook prayers, but we are talking about checkbox prayers, but we are talking about what does it mean to connect with God. And I'm going to encourage you, as I lead you through this, to allow yourself in meditative prayer to move to places which are personal. So let's close your eyes and ask God, please, Lord, help us as we lament to think about the brokenness around us. Perhaps some brokenness that we see in our workplace or our marriage or friendship or parenting or with a neighbour. Help us, Father, put on our heart those things that you want us to lament about, personal things. Father, let us be grieved. Now move into a time of listening. In those areas, in our work, our marriage, our friendship, our parenting, our neighbours, what small part, Father, what small part do you want to call me to be faithful in? Where can the need meet desire, desire sometimes just for the kingdom, meet limitation? Is there something I can do to thank or encourage or appreciate or acknowledge or forgive, or serve, or be kind to? What small thing are you calling me to, Lord, in this area of brokenness that I'm lamenting? Now, you can come out of that time of meditation and hopefully the Holy Spirit has put on your heart some small little things for you to go to do and to enter into in love, which means love being a prayer of action, being a prayer of overflow. And this practice of lament, listen, love, lament, listen, love, becomes a rhythm which keeps us humble. The lament drives us to see that we are in a broken world the listen, we sit in a humble place, realizing that we're reliant on God, but we're invited to enter into that. And the love means we serve out of overflow. Lament, listen, love. And that discipline can be done many times a day. 
any situation that you're in. Just sit there, lament, listen, love. I'm, I'm really distressed about what's going on with my child. I'm really upset about what's happening with my neighbour. I'm really bothered by what's going on in this workplace at the moment, what's happening in this conversation in my marriage. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do right now? What small thing in my limitation am I capable of doing? Love. Let me do it for you, Lord. Let me do it out of overflow. Vertical habits are a discipline. They are a rhythm that we enter into by invitation. I want to conclude by asking the question and looking at a form of prayer that fits this model that Jesus did. How do you think Jesus got to the cross? Do you think he stoically jacked himself up and said, I'm going to do this? No. The road to the cross for Jesus is really epitomized in what happened at Gethsemane, the prayer of Gethsemane. And look at that, lament. Take this cup from me. What a broken mess this situation is, God. Not your will, but my will. A glimpse of the kingdom. What is it? What, what thing did Jesus have put before him that turned his heart towards going to the cross? And we say this every Good Friday. It was you. It was you. God, in his grace, allowed Jesus to know what it would mean for you to be reunited with, with the Trinitarian God. And he was willing to move forward because of that. A bigger job, perhaps, than serving in the nursery, but still not one he wanted to do. But he did for you and for me. He did because he loved the Father. He did it out of faithfulness to the Father because his heart loved like the Father's heart loved. And then he moved on in the act of love in going to the cross. The Garden of Gethsemane, lament, take this cup from me. Listen, not your will but my will, love. Pick up your cross and bear it in faithfulness. You cannot be faithful without burnout unless you ground your life in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we are not good. We are not good at personal prayers. We are not good at wrestling with you. We are not good at doing the work, really, of getting on our knees and having relationship with you. And yet, even when we describe it as work, we forget that it's invitation. We forget that it is, in fact, blessing, that it is an opportunity to, to move into connectedness with you. Father, help us to be people who lament, listen, and love, who, who integrate that practice in our life. Help us, like Peter, to look to you, to see how you lived, to find the priorities that you found, to avoid spiritual burnout, because we're constantly replenished by our time with you and serving not out of obligation, but out of overflow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.